This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode was recorded in March 2022. It includes new information published after my original episodes. I am currently working on a full revision and rewrite of The Great Pyramid Story, but that is taking a while. I am recording this episode in Cairo, not far from the Giza Plateau, so this tale comes as close to the source as possible. Enjoy! Hello everyone, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. Today, I tell the story of a bureaucrat, an accountant. His name was Merer, and he contributed to the enormous construction project that took place at Giza in the reign of Khufu. Merer and a team of workers whom he supervised were involved in the Great Pyramid's construction. Their story survives in a set of diaries, and these diaries came to light quite recently. Let's explore. On the shores of the Red Sea, far from the Nile Valley, sandy hills meet sparkling waters. The cool breeze blowing from the north fills the sails of pleasure boats, and mammoth vessels, cargo ships, traverse the horizon as they leave the Suez Canal and head for distant lands. This coast seems a world away from the Nile, the land of the pharaohs and the great monuments of ancient Egypt. But looks can be deceiving. Out here, archaeologists are discovering wonders, amazing records of labour and accomplishment. On the shores of the Red Sea, scientists are resurrecting a long-forgotten world. Our story begins at a site called Wadi al-Jarf. This is a riverbed, or wadi, in the eastern deserts, near the coast. The Wadi al-Jarf emerges in the hills and then flows down towards the sea. Today, it is sandy and dry, but when the rains come, the dry soil turns to mud, or even floods, and when that rain passes, life emerges, for a while. Wadis Old riverbeds were a popular route for ancient travellers, expeditions, and even settlers. Over thousands of years, people moved through these areas to work, trade, and sometimes to live. Nomads and hunters made their homes in these regions. Miners, soldiers, and builders crossed the wadis on their way to the coast and the hills. In time, countless people traversed this region and they left traces of their lives. Today, archaeologists are uncovering those traces. The Wadi al-Jaf is not the only Wadi on the Red Sea coast, far from it. But for our purposes, it is the most important. 
Here, on the shores of the Red Sea, the Wadi al-Jaf played host to workers employed by King Khufu. They came for different purposes that we'll get into later. But to set the scene, this out-of-the-way region near the coast became a major site during Khufu's reign. It is here that archaeologists found the papyri of Merer. The papyri of Merer, aka the diaries of Merer, or the Red Sea Scrolls, are an important resource. As you could guess, these are pieces of papyrus paper from an ancient scroll or book. The papyrus is fragmented, badly damaged by time and decay. But many sections survive, and these tell a fascinating tale. The papyri came to light in 2013, when an archaeological team uncovered the fragments. The excavators were Egyptian and French, working for the French Institute of Oriental Archaeology, aka the IFAO. The IFAO is a long-serving institution, and their archaeologists have worked in countless sites and made significant discoveries. Well, in 2013, the team made another one. One day, members of the Ifau excavation were clearing debris from an ancient gallery. These are large chambers, or rooms, dug into the hillsides and cliffs. The galleries were ancient storage facilities. Workers used them to preserve and secure important items. So the team were exploring a well-documented area with plenty of material. But then, something changed. The discovery of papyri was totally unexpected. According to the lead excavator, Professor Pierre Talley, the find took them all by surprise. In fact, when he got the call, or rather several missed calls, Talley assumed that there had been an accident or a problem. But as the news filtered through, the team went into overdrive. Papyri fragments were emerging. Papyrus is a challenge in archaeology. The ancient paper is made of organic material from plants and reeds. So it is fragile, even in the best conditions. And excavating papyrus requires great care and conservation. It's not like a block of stone or a bit of pottery. Once papyrus comes to light, the entire operation slows to a crawl. Conservators begin their work to carefully withdraw and preserve the material. Why do they do this? Well, papyrus tends to be a holy grail, quote-unquote. For better or worse, many historians rely on ancient texts, writing, more than any other resource. As a result, papyrus is well worth its weight in gold. And in the Wadi al-Jaf, far from the Nile Valley, a discovery like this was an unexpected gem. So the team did their work, slowly carefully, and soon they had recovered dozens of pieces. The archaeologists preserved the bits of paper, and then they settled down to study them. As Professor Talley and members of his team examined the fragments, an interesting tale emerged. Piece by piece, the archaeologists reassembled the papyri. They studied the texts written on the paper, Marks in black and red ink contained various notes. They were journal entries, recording daily activities. Logbooks, recording supplies and provisions. 
notes about locations and tasks completed by the ancient author. In this case, the papyri belonged to Merer. Merer was a mid-level manager working for the government. Officially, his title was Sehej, which historians translate as inspector. In other words, Merer was an organizer. He did not do much physical work himself, as far as we know. Instead, he managed a team of laborers, organized their provisions, and recorded their daily activities. He was an accountant and an overseer. We don't know much about Merer as a person. The papyri found at Wadi al-Jaf are the only surviving records for this man. There is no tomb, yet, and no statue, no artifact to record his life. For now, all we have are the texts from his job, and those texts give just a little bit of information about the man himself. For example, Merer had neat and tidy handwriting. The papyri written by him are well organized, and the author was skilled with his pen. Like today, ancient Egyptian scribes could vary wildly in their handwriting. Most of them were fine. Some were atrocious, barely legible, even for experts. And others were precise, careful, and considered. Merer seems to be one of the latter. With a steady hand, he made neat, orderly columns and well-drawn symbols. So from the papyrus, we can get a small glimpse at his personality. We can imagine Merer seated on a mat, carefully jotting down his notes. The pen moves smoothly, he makes few mistakes, and his text is clear to read. When he is done, the inspector dries the ink, rolls up the papyrus, and puts it away for storage. There it stays for over 4,000 years. So, very few details survive regarding Merer's life, but what we have is intriguing. And now that we've established the context of the discovery, it's time to tell the story itself. What the papyri contain, and the work that Merer did. Before we start, I should note something. I'm not going to read or discuss everything that is in the diary of Merer. There are several distinct sections dealing with different topics and projects he was involved in. Today, I'm going to focus on one set of texts. The documents recording Merer's work at and near the Giza Plateau. The other sections will come later in future episodes. For now, let's just focus on the Great Pyramid Project. The year was 2570 BCE, approximately. It was year 26, under the majesty of Horus Medjedu, the king of southern and northern Egypt, Kanum Kufwi, aka Khufu. At Giza, the Great Pyramid Project was nearing completion. After more than 25 years, over 2 million blocks of stone had accumulated on the site. Piled up, Layer by layer, the rough blocks formed the core of an enormous artificial mountain. The horizon of Khufu, the Great Pyramid, was entering its final stages. This is where Merer and his team enter the story. The first section of Merer's papyri describe work in the Giza region. 
Specifically, we learn about the team operating in the harbour area and the Nile River. In the first surviving texts, Merer and his team worked as a ferry service. They spent several days moving people around this region. So, we begin our story at the harbour below the Great Pyramid. Merer's account picks up at a place called Roche Khufu. This is literally the mouth of the Lake of Khufu. The Roche seems to be a canal or the entrance to the Giza harbour area. I'll come back to that a bit later, but imagine a harbour with canals linking it to the Nile, and you have the basic idea. Merer's team came to the harbour mouth, and in the first part of this diary, the team acted as bus drivers, sort of. The crew spent 10 days carrying workers from Giza to the east bank of the Nile. The job was simple. A group of labourers gathered in the Giza harbour area. Then, Merer and his crew brought their ship to the banks. The workers clambered aboard. The ship set sail, heading upriver. And soon, they arrived at the stone quarries on the east bank of the Nile. Those quarries were the source of high-quality white limestone. The limestone that would go outside Khufu's pyramid. So, these quarries were an important area. Merer and his team delivered workers to those quarries. Merer recorded this work in meticulous detail. Every time the ship stopped to load, unload, or rest, he made a note of it. As a result, Merer's account is kind of dry and repetitive. But it gives us necessary information. According to Merer's record, a typical journey went as follows. Quote, Day 3, cast off from the harbour, sailing upriver towards Tura, the quarries. Spend the night there. Day 4, cast off from Tura, sail downriver towards Aket Khufu, the Great Pyramid. Spend the night there. Day 5, cast off from Tura in the afternoon and sail towards Aket Khufu, the Great Pyramid. Day 6, cast off from Aket Khufu and sail upriver towards Tura. End quote. The account goes on like this, and as you can see, it is drier than the Sahara. But that's okay, it gives us what we want. First, the ship set sail from the Giza harbour. It sailed towards the quarries, and delivered the cargo to that place. They stayed overnight at the quarry, and then the next morning, Merer and his team sailed back towards Giza. They stopped at Giza, stayed overnight, and then the next morning, they sailed to the quarries again. Basically, it's a series of short round trips, each lasting approximately one day. They go back and forth from Giza to the quarries. It's repetitive, hardly glamorous, and more than a little boring. But it was important work. From the accounts, each round trip took approximately 24 hours, including a pause during the night. So once per day, Merer and his team could complete a trip to Giza and back. Doing this repeatedly, the ship could bring a great many workers to the quarries. How many people exactly? Well, we're not sure. 
Marriott does not give the specifics, but based on other records, like texts and artistic images, we can make some educated guesses. By the 4th dynasty, around 2570 BCE, the Egyptians had mastered the art of shipbuilding. Using high-quality wood imported from Lebanon, royal artisans could produce ships of great size. For example, the great solar boats of King Khufu, discovered near his pyramid, were 43 and a half meters long, or 142 feet. So the ancient Egyptians had become master shipwrights, and with that in mind, Merer could easily have commanded a large vessel, carrying many people. Merer and his team made five round trips, according to the surviving documents. If we assume his ship was medium-sized, large enough for work projects but not too fancy, then maybe a rough figure of 120 passengers is reasonable. Over five trips, Merer could probably transport 600 workers or more from Giza to the quarries. That is a low estimate, but you get the point. Even a medium-sized barge, packed with workers, might carry several hundred folks over five trips. So Merer and his team spent about 10 days delivering workers, or stonemasons, to the quarries. Following that, though, they had one more delivery. On day 10, the last day of this operation, we hear about an official travelling on the boat. The man's name is lost, but apparently, Merer and his team carried an overseer from Giza to the quarries. This royal official had a purpose. Quote, day 10, casting off from Tura, the quarries, and landing at Aket Khufu, the Great Pyramid. Coming aboard was the official, whose title is lost. He came with instructions concerning the chosen workers and the labor gangs. End quote. We don't know who this official was, but we get a sense of the hierarchy. The workers go to the quarry first, traveling day by day until they are all gathered on site. Then, when everyone else has arrived, the overseer comes by himself. He did not travel with the workers, he went separately. Apparently, Merer and his team acted as chauffeurs for this bigwig, and he went to the quarries, carrying instructions for the gangs. Imagine the stereotype of a middle manager, showing up late when everyone else is ready and waiting. That should give the idea. Anyway, Merer and his team delivered stoneworkers, or masons, to the quarries. The next part of our story takes place at those quarries. Having delivered workers to the limestone fields, Merer and his team started gathering stone. Merer and the workers spent the next few months delivering blocks of Tura limestone, The papyrus now describes journeys from the quarry back to the Giza plateau. Once again, Merer records this arduous process in meticulous detail. Quote, Day 25. The inspector Merer spends the day with his team, hauling stones in Tura South. He spends the night at Tura South. Day 26. The inspector Merer sets sail with his team from Tura South. The ship is loaded with stone, 
They sail for the Aket Khufu, the Great Pyramid. They spend the night at Khufu's lake, the harbours near Giza. Day 27. The team sets sail from Khufu's lake and sails towards the Aket Khufu. Their ship is loaded with stone. They spend the night at the Aket Khufu. Day 28. The team sets sail from the Aket Khufu in the morning and sails upriver towards Chura South. End quote. Each delivery took four days round trip, loading the stones, sailing downriver, unloading the stones, sailing upriver. A steady rhythm back and forth. Merer and his team did this for months. The account is a bit dry, but there is plenty to unpack. Reading between the lines, we can paint a detailed picture of work in the Giza region. First, the quarries. Imagine the struggle and the pressure as teams hurried to load up the blocks. Working under clouds of dust, the men would haul stones from the depot to the ship. They would strain, pulling at ropes, while others pushed from the back. And water carriers would soak the soil to make the sled move easily. Meanwhile, overseers would be shouting and gesturing, sometimes helpfully, other times just making a show of working. Either way, this was noisy, as dozens or hundreds of men grunted and strained, commanders yelled instructions, and onlookers cheered them on. Carefully, with much noise and bustle, the workers brought a block on board the ship. Then they did it again, and again, and again, and again. All day, multiple teams laboured to gather the materials on board. All the while, the quarries echoed with the shouts of overseers, the chatter of workers, the scrape of chisels, and the constant pounding of stone tools. It must have been a cacophony under a thick cloud of dust. In the afternoon, the ship set sail. Fully loaded, the vessel followed the current. The workers now became rowers, dragging oars through the water and propelling the boat ahead. We know they did this because tombs from the Old Kingdom show workers aboard these boats. In teams, they manage the sails, row the oars, and guide the rudders. From these images, we can get a sense of Merer's team, their arms and backs straining as they propelled the vessel down the Nile. Hours later, the vessel arrived at Giza. It was late in the day, so the crew anchored at the mouth of the harbour, literally. Pulling up to the Rocher, the mouth of the lake, they paused for the evening. Lamps and torches would light up, banishing the dark. Chances are, other ships would be nearby, making their own deliveries of stone, food and people. With that in mind, we could probably imagine the harbour glittering with lights. If you looked out from the riverbank, you might see dozens of lamps glowing in the dark. A city on the water laden with provisions. Then, in the day, the area sprang to life once more. As the black gave way to pre-dawn blue, the sailors would scramble over their ships. Smaller craft with overseers might dart between each ship, telling the captains their destination and their place in the queue. Across the harbour, work gangs would appear on the shore, ready to offload vessels. And as the sun's rays beamed over the horizon, the Arket, they would light up a world of bustle and work. For the next 12 to 14 hours, 
the harbour would throng as ships arrived, unloaded their wares, and departed once more. Everywhere you looked, you would see activity. So far, we have covered two sections of the diary. First, Merer and his team ferried workers from the Giza harbour to the limestone quarries. Then, they loaded stones for delivery to the Giza plateau. Those accounts are the largest, most complete section of the diaries. But there is more, other parts of the text discussing other projects. I will cover those extra parts in a future episode. For now, let's see how all of this fits together. Merer and his team worked in the Giza region. Carrying people and stones, they shuttled back and forth along the Nile. You may be wondering, what was the point of this work? What exactly was Merer helping to build? The inspector does not tell us the specifics of his deliveries. So it's not entirely clear what building exactly Merer was contributing to. The obvious answer would be the Great Pyramid, but as we will see, that is a little bit uncertain. There are a couple of different candidates for Merer's target, the building he was contributing to. The first option is the Great Pyramid itself. Merer could have delivered casing stones for the monument. Today, the pyramid that we see is rough, mostly the irregular blocks that form the core. But originally, the Great Pyramid had smooth sides of white Tura limestone. Merer could have delivered blocks for that part of the monument. However, Merer's diary does take place late in the reign of Khufu, the last couple of years at most. By that point, the pyramid casing was probably finished mostly. Stonemasons may have been polishing the stones, cutting them into shape and fitting them together. But by year 27, the stones themselves were probably in place. So it is possible that Merer delivered stones for the Great Pyramid, but it's not the most likely option. Our second candidate is the supplementary buildings, specifically the Great Causeway and the temples that served the pyramid. On the eastern side of the monument, Khufu's architects designed a series of buildings. There was a temple right next to the pyramid itself, then a long covered causeway. This causeway descended from the Giza Plateau down to the Nile Valley. At the bottom, another temple connected the causeway with the river itself. These monuments are mostly gone, just a few foundations and blocks remain. But archaeologists have identified their location, their design, and a few pieces still survive. I'll talk about them more in the future, but for now, it's enough to know that Khufu's pyramid had additional structures, specifically temples and a causeway, connecting it to the Nile. Those buildings are a good candidate for Merer's deliveries. Finally, our third option is separate from the pyramid and its facilities. It is possible that Merer and his team delivered limestone for the other monuments on the Giza Plateau. The Great Pyramid does not stand alone. It has smaller pyramids alongside, for royal family members. It had a wall surrounding the entire monument. It had boat pits for ceremonial ships. 
and those boat pits had limestone blocks to seal them. Finally, the Giza Plateau had mastabas. Beside the Great Pyramid, a vast city of mastaba tombs developed. These buildings are like chapels on top of burial shafts. They provided tombs for the high officials. Some of those mastabas might have needed high-quality limestone for their casing, so it is possible that Merer delivered blocks for these other parts of the Giza complex. The smaller pyramids, the enclosure wall, the boat pits, or the mastabas. All of those are viable options. Putting it all together, we have multiple candidates, multiple places and monuments that Merer may have delivered blocks. In context, I think the best candidate would be the causeway and pyramid temples. There are a couple of reasons why I think that. Firstly, we know that those monuments used high-quality limestone, the sort of limestone that Merer and his team were delivering. Secondly, the timing makes sense. Merer's diary records work in the last couple years of Khufu's reign. In the circumstances, the causeway and the temples are more likely to be under construction. The pyramid itself was probably mostly finished. So in this last phase of work, the temples and the causeways seem more likely. Thirdly, Merer's diary specifically mentions the team sailing from the Giza harbour along to the Great Pyramid, the Akhet Khufu. That means they sailed to a place specifically connected with the pyramid itself. The causeway and the valley temples would fit that description. To be fair, that could also apply to the Great Pyramid, but given the timing, the last year or two, that does seem less likely. This is my personal assessment. I could easily be wrong, but on the current evidence, I think it is a decent bet that Merer and his team delivered blocks for the causeway and the temples. So that is an educated guess about Merer's team at the Giza Plateau. If that is correct, then we may have an idea where the crew delivered those blocks. The high-quality limestone could have gone to the walls and structure of temples, and the decorated causeway. Today, those monuments are mostly lost, just a few pieces remain. But in the future, I will describe these buildings around the Great Pyramid. For now, it is time to wrap things up. The diaries of Merer are incredibly valuable. These accounts add vital information to our picture of the Great Pyramid, and to ancient Egyptian society. He left a tangible record of individuals and their work. Today, the Great Pyramid kind of dominates the horizon, literally. And for a long time, historians could only study the monument in its basic details. But thanks to generations of archaeology, and now the diaries of Merer, historians and archaeologists can put together a much more detailed picture. This makes these diaries, fragmented and damaged, well worth their weight in gold. Merer was an accountant, writing boring daily reports about his movements. But the information he left helps to flesh out our understanding of ancient life. As I said, there is more information in these papyri. More sections, more texts to explore. I will discuss those other parts in a future episode. 
For now, we have the essentials, the delivery of stones and the carrying of workers over the course of a few months. The other sections tell us about organization and supplies. We hear about Merer and his team going north to the Delta to work at a couple of sites. We also hear about payment. Another diary from the same collection speaks of the organization and supplies of the workforce. Again, those are stories for the future. If you want to learn about this material now, I have a book recommendation. In late 2021, Pierre Talley and Mark Lehner released The Red Sea Scrolls, How Ancient Papyri Reveal the Secrets of the Pyramids. The book is published by Thames and Hudson and is available at all good booksellers. I highly recommend this book. It covers the discovery of the papyri, the contents of the documents, the significance of Merer's account, and the archaeology of Giza itself. In other words, Talley and Lehner's Red Sea Scrolls is a comprehensive, overarching account of modern information. What's more, it is well-written, accessible, and informative. I give it five stars. To be clear, nobody is paying me to say that. I bought the book myself, and I'm recommending it on a personal level. The Red Sea Scrolls, How Ancient Papyri Reveal the Secrets of the Pyramids, is well worth your time. The Diary of Merer is a wonderful document, full of information. In this episode, I have narrated part of the text. But if you want to read the whole thing with all of the details, you can do so for free. The French Institute of Eastern Archaeology, the IFAO, has made the diary available to all. They have released the translation, along with a commentary by Professor Pierre Talley, and you can access that online. To find the diary, simply follow the link in the episode description. This episode was recorded in March 2022, but to make the episodes line up with the original Great Pyramid story, I have also added a backdated version for early 2013. If you are just joining the show, you may find this episode appears twice in the podcast feed. That is intentional, a way for newcomers and veterans to access the content more conveniently. I hope that clears up any confusion. Thank you for listening. I will see you soon. Cheers.